Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. Today, I receive the Word of God, the prophet me, and reproof me, convict me, and instruct me to righteousness that I may become perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You just quoted 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. If you have your Bibles open with me to Psalms chapter 23, it's a familiar Psalms, but I believe as we break it down and the Holy Spirit will just minister to us, he'll begin to reveal to us some things that will really speak to our own lives. And so here in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. You know, God wants you in a place where you're not in need all the time. God wants to be the God of being able to provide all the resources that you'll ever need. In fact, he not only wants to provide and meet your need, he wants to do it abundantly. And one of the things that I've learned about abundance is it's a lot better to have more than not have enough. Amen? It's a lot better to live, you know, it's easier to live a life of dignity when you have more than enough and not not enough. You know, we lived that life where our month was longer than our paycheck. We lived a life where we had, you know, so little we could hardly pay attention, you know, much less pay our bills. But we were able to, thank God, by the grace of God. And it was a few years ago, Vicki and I were going through all of our IRS receipts, and we looked at some checks that we wrote to the church, you know, a $1.25, check. You know, but we were faithful to do what God had given us to do, and God's blessed us. It didn't happen overnight, but God has blessed us. We're not where we want to be, but God's blessed us. And one of the keys to God blessing us is not to be ashamed that God's blessed you. You know, if God's blessed you with a new car, well, you know, I got a deal on it. Well, who cares if you got a deal on it? God blessed you with a new car, amen? amen. You know, God blessed you with a raise, hey, I got a raise, glory to God. You know, if you got new clothes, God bless you with new clothes. Who cares if you got them on sale, you know? You know, and this is what happens so many times with Christians is that we have been, you know, uh, uh, berated so much to think that, well, it's not really good to be rich or to prosper, that we're almost ashamed to say, my God has blessed me. It's the blessing of the Lord. And the Bible says the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and adds no sorrow to it. So why should we be sorrowful if we're blessed? And this is one of the keys to maintaining and walking in prosperity is not to be ashamed that God has blessed you. Do I have a witness in this house? And so he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And to the degree that God is your shepherd, you won't want. God will bless you. God will take care of you. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of shadow death, I will fear. I have nothing to fear. Why? Because my God is with me. I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Where's your enemy at? Help me, somebody, preach this message. Where's your enemy at? Right here on the earth. You know, the devil's not in heaven. This psalm's not for when we get to heaven someday even though we do read it at grave sites a lot because it helps comfort people. But you know, your enemy is here on this earth. And it says God will prepare a table before you in the presence of the enemy. You know, one of the greatest things you can do to frustrate the enemy is to taunt him with good things. 
Look at this, Mr. Devil. Look what God prepared for me. You know, God prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemy. This is God's plan for your life. He will anoint your head with oil till your cup runs over. Does that sound like barely getting by to you? You know, God doesn't have a problem with waste. I don't want to waste anything. Yes, my wife and I were very frugal. I mean, I even save the screws when I do remodeling. You know, I mean, that's how frugal we are. But you know what? That's just who I am. You know, but God doesn't have a problem with waste. You know, when Jesus went up to the fig tree that didn't have any fig tree, he cursed it. But he never went up to the fig tree that had so much fruit that it fell to the ground and went to the waste. You don't see that. Why? Because God knows that there's more where that came from. Help me with this, somebody. So until your cup flows over, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all of the days of your life. You know, when you blow it, you can expect God to be merciful. Now, if you want to blow it and walk away from God, that's different. But when you're going after God, if you miss it, how many of you may miss it before the day is over? You might just make a mistake. Hello, somebody. You might miss it. Even if you do miss it, God is merciful. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so anyway, when I was looking at the Psalms a few years ago, something jumped out at me, and God led me to do a series on this, and he's led me to do this same series this month, and that is here in Psalms 23.3, and it says, he restores my soul. You know, one of the greatest things we can do is let God restore our soul. You know, many times when we walk through this life, and that's the number one thing that affects us is our soul. He restoreth our soul. Somebody say, I want my soul back. And that's the title of this message, and this is what I'm going to be teaching on this month is getting our soul back. Well, in order for us to get our soul back, first of all, we need to understand what is our soul. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the Bible tells us that we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. We are created in the image of God, and we serve God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we're a tri-being, okay? We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. Of course, when I first got saved, you know, like a lot of people, I thought my soul and my spirit was the same thing, but that's not true. Because your spirit was recreated the moment that you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. A very supernatural miracle happened, and God went right into your conscience, and bam, he transformed it into his image. Your spirit man, created in his image. That's why the Word of God says, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. The outside may have not changed. But the inside certainly has. And that's why it's the greatest miracle you ever see is someone get born again because they're created in the image of God. Now, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. Now, that's pretty powerful. But when you're married, what God does is he takes two people, two separate people, and by that same spirit, he causes them to be one. And Paul said, that's a great mystery. And he said, why are you bringing it out? Because this is an example of that same oneness that we have with God. And we are to understand that we are one with God. In fact, the truth is that we are inseparable from God. How powerful is that? So God says we are inseparable from him. And so he went on to say, I, he, he said, you know, uh, he restoreth my soul. So your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. 
Why do we say that? Because everywhere in the Greek and mostly in the Hebrew, but, but almost everywhere in the Greek, wherever the word in the Bible of soul or mind or will, it's all derived from the same Greek word that refers to our soul, our psychic, or it's, I don't know how to say it in the Greek, but it's referred to where we get the word psychology from, our psychic, our emotions. And so our emotions are the ones that really affect our decision-making a lot of times. You know, when we get up in the morning, sometimes we go, what I just don't feel like, hello, somebody, I don't feel like doing the right, I don't feel like getting out of bed. But you know what? If I don't get out of bed, then I'll probably be late for work. And if I'm late for work, too many times I might lose my job. And if I lose my job, I might not have a paycheck to, you know, uh, uh, provide for my family. So therefore, I'm going to override my feelings and get up and go to work. Right? Because there's a necessity there. But if we allowed our feelings to dominate us, how many of us would sleep in every day? Huh? Hello, somebody. Most of us would. You know, probably not me because I go to bed early. And, you know, I get up for 35 o'clock almost every morning, mostly between 5 and 6 o'clock. It's just a natural thing. I've done it almost all my life, except when I was growing uh, pretty fast when I was a teenager, I slept a little longer. But my rhythm is I get up early, and I like to get up early. But nevertheless, the point is that if we were led by our feelings all the time, we wouldn't make good decisions. So our feelings or our soul or our emotions can affect our decisions, and our decisions is part of our will, okay? And so what happens so many times in life is, and I know it's never happened to you, but sometimes we get our feelings hurt or we get our emotions damaged. And as a result of our feelings getting hurt or someone hurting our feelings, sometimes we can't quite intellectually process what is really going on in a situation where our feelings have been hurt. And so, therefore, we get our soul damage called, you know, because we go through this thing called life. Not everybody out there is thinking about how much they appreciate who you are. It's unfortunate. In fact, some people don't even care how they affect how you think or what they do or how it's going to affect you. But you know what? I care. I care about how, you know, I affect people. I care about, you know, uh, whether I have had a positive influence on people. In fact, in my life, I've made it a real challenge that everybody I come in contact to will feel like they're having a better day because they got to meet me. That's my desire. My desire is to let them know that they're important and that God has a plan for their life. And I might not even witness, you know, about God, but just encourage them and strengthen them. That's my desire. But, you know, not everybody has that feeling in life. You know why? Because their soul has been damaged. And so we need to have our souls restored. Well, go with me to Matthew chapter 24. And as we go there... Know this, the word restore means this. It means to restore. It means to refresh. How many of you like to wake up and feel refreshed? You feel like you've had a good night's sleep. Things, it means to repair. It also means to recompense. That means to give back. You know, if you ever feel like someone's taken a part of you, 
you know, emotionally. Well, God wants to restore that or recompense. It means to recover. And so how is our mind and our will and our emotions restored? Well, Romans chapter 12, 1 and one and two says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Why is this? Because God wants us to live this great and holy life? No, God is saying, hey, check your environment. Because what you listen to predominantly, what you are around predominantly, will predominantly affect you, whether it's positive or or negative. So he's saying, I beseech you, brother, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why does he want us to do this? And not be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Now, prove means that you're walking in, that you may walk in a good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And how many of you would agree with me today that if you're walking in the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, you probably would have less problems in your life? Amen. Amen. And this is what God's saying. You know, you need to be careful. Why? Because your environment will affect your soul. And it's important to what you listen to. It's important to what you dwell on on a regular basis. Ephesians says this, that you put off your former conduct. How do we do that? How do we live this transformed life? How do we get to that place where we're walking a life that's pleasing to God? By putting off the old man, which grows uh, corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, our mind needs to be renewed. And how is our mind renewed? The Word of God tells us, our mind is renewed through the washing of the water of the word. Now, if you have a low self-image of yourself, read what the Bible says about you. God says that you are the apple of his eye. You are his favorite. You know, when you wake up in the morning, he has you on his mind. In fact, the word of God goes on and says he thinks good thoughts towards you. He has a plan, a good plan for you. Tell your neighbor a good plan. A good plan for you. That's God's plan for your life. You know, a good plan, an exceedingly abundantly plan for you. That's what God's thinking. He loves you. And if you were the only one who missed it, he would have still made the ultimate sacrifice to give you the opportunity for your relationship to be restored back to him. God loves you. Begin to dwell on what God says about you. God says you're, you're the righteousness of God. God says your sins are forgiven. God says I remember your sins as far as the east from the west. Who's going to argue with God? The last person who argued with God got kicked out of heaven. Don't get kicked out of the kingdom of God because you're not agreeing with what God says. Agree with what God says about you. He wants the very best for your life. Somebody say, I want my soul back. So we begin to begin to look at some things here, and we begin to realize what does damage our soul, and that is sometimes things in our environment. Did I ask you to go to Matthew 24 with me? All right, Matthew 24. Let me get there myself. Starting with verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. So they're out. They're just kind of walking through the city, and look at this. This building was built, you know, uh, it took them 30 years to build the city. Look at all the, uh, the statues on that building. Look at the architect. Isn't it wonderful, Jesus? And Jesus said, do, not, do you not see all these things? Or surely I'll say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And the Jews knew that there was going to come, 
you know, uh, a, a millennium. There was going to come a time where, you know, the, the, their kingdom would be destroyed. And they knew that in that time that the Messiah would come back. And so as he sat up on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they knew these things were prophesied in Ezekiel. They knew some of these things were prophesied in Jeremiah. They knew some of these things were prophesied, that there was an end of the age and a new millennium coming. And so they asked him, tell us, when are these things going to happen? And he said, first thing Jesus said was, take heed that no one deceives you. How can someone deceive you? How can someone deceive you? By speaking to you. Maybe writing a letter, maybe writing an email, maybe by speaking into your life. We need to take heed that no one deceives us. We need to be careful to what we listen to. I beseech you, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. We need to be careful. What are we really listening to? Who are we really letting affect how we process things, how we make decisions, who are we really pleasing? Are we pleasing man or are we pleasing God? So take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come and, and come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now for many years, this baffled me. Because I thought, you know, there's a real good chance in my life that many people, you know, may come in the name of Jesus but there's a real good chance no one's going to convince me that they're the Messiah. So how does this work? Well, the word Christ means anointed one or anointing. So many will come, they'll use the name of Jesus, and they will have an appearance of being very anointed of God. And God may use them. No doubt that God can use them. Why? Because God watches over his word to perform it. So many can come and say, you know, I'm anointed, but you know what? Their lifestyle, hello somebody, their lifestyle may deceive you. I'll never forget that when I was learning how to walk with God and I wanted to go into the ministry and I worked for a particular minister and, and uh, you know, and, and uh, one day I saw him do something that, you know, I felt like the Lord told me not to do. And I thought, well, man, he's much more powerfully used than I am. God's, he's got a ministry, a world-renowned ministry, and I'm working for him. And, I, and so I thought, well, if he can get away with it, I can get away with doing whatever it was. I can't even remember what it was anymore. <clears throat> but whatever it was, it was an attitude or something. And then one day the Lord said, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, God work for does it. He said, yeah, but I've dealt with your heart. Don't let his lifestyle or maybe his lack of understanding of what God showed me affect you. You know, and this is where we have to look at the gifting of God, not the person. Because people aren't perfect. Tell your neighbor, people aren't perfect. And tell your other neighbor, except for me. People aren't perfect. So don't let maybe someone who's made a mistake, even though God's used them, 
Don't let their wrong lifestyle deceive you into thinking that, well, there's things that you can do, maybe that doesn't please God. And that's what happened to me. I let this person's, you know, particular area in, this, in their life, you know, deceive me. And this is what Jesus is saying. He said, many will come, and they will deceive many. And you'll hear of wars. Do we hear of wars? I mean, we're hearing of wars every day. And I think, you know, today, you know, with instant, you know, news that we get today, you know, we hear wars a lot quicker than, you know, we used to be able to hear about wars. But there's wars. There's rumors of wars. But he went on to say, see that you're not troubled. Jesus said something in John 14, 1. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You know, that's not a suggestion. And he's not suggesting this here. He's not saying, oh, let me plead with you. Don't let your heart be troubled. He's saying, you see, it's your responsibility. Somebody say, I want my soul back. It's your responsibility to see to it that your heart's not troubled. No matter what's going on around you, no matter what other people's opinions are about you, no matter if it's negative and they say negative things about you, you're to see to it that your heart does not be, is not troubled. Uh, now, you know, if it wasn't possible, he wouldn't have put it in the Word of God. Did you know that you have the authority to determine that your heart not be troubled? Somebody say, I want my soul back. And that's what it's all about. It's all about you determining that you're not going to let what goes on the outside affect what goes on on the inside. That's your responsibility. That's why it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. What? Be not conformed to this world. What? Be not conformed to this world, but heart is not troubled. All the things that are going on. Well, how do you live in a life where there's so much negativity going on? I see to it that my heart's not troubled. How do I do that? I look to the Word of God. The Word of God says that He's made me the head and not the tail. Above only and not beneath. It doesn't matter what's going on. God's going to make me a winner. God's going to create me. God's created me to be an overcomer in this life. He's made me the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed coming in, blessed going out. Pastor, do you really believe it? Not only do I believe it, but I'm living it. And somebody say, I want my soul back. Because I can't let what's going on in the world, I can't let what the news is saying, I can't let other people's opinions about me affect who God says I am and who I can be. That's God's plan for your life. Let not see to it that your heart's not troubled. And so then he went on and said, all these things must come, must come to pass, but the end's not yet. In other words, Jesus said there's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. In one scripture he said there'll be trials and tribulations, but you, my command to you is be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Because I've overcome all of them. And if you're one, like we talked about earlier with him, and he's one with you, if he's overcome them, then guess what? You too are an overcomer because you are one with God. Has God ever lost a battle? Well, then if you're with God, will you ever lose a battle? You know, one of my favorite quotes is when Abraham Lincoln was president of the United States and one of the generals came to him about a particular battle they were fighting, and he goes, well, we ought to pray that God be on our side. And Abraham Lincoln said, no, 
We need to pray that we're on God's side. That's what we need to pray. We need to be on God's side. That's why when the captain of the host, when Jesus, you know, appeared to Joshua and Joshua said, are you for us or are you against us? He said, neither one. But I've got a plan for you. Amen? God's not taking sides. God wants you to be on his side. Isn't that wonderful? That's why you can't pray for your favorite football team to win a game. Oh, you can pray, but that's one of those prayers where the Bible says you pray to miss and he doesn't hear those things. Amen? You know, you, you just can't pray the favor of God in a competition. Hello, somebody. Am I doing all right? I know I just popped someone's button right there, but that's all right. All right, see to it that you're not troubled. These things must come to pass. The end's not, not yet. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against nation. There'll be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. And they'll, del- they'll deliver you up to tribulation. They'll kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I want to stop right there. You know, I just heard a statistic the other day. First of all, the church is probably today at one of the lowest attendance in the history of our nation. You know, I, I think less than 15% of our nation even attends church today. Isn't that something? And 31% of the churches in America believe that the Bible is a valid, authoritative word of God. Aren't you glad you're not in one of those churches? Thirty-one. That means that if you have 10 friends who go to church, you know, there's chances that three out of ten of them are really hearing the Word of God. And that's your mission field. You know, isn't it something that our mission field is people who are being misled by other churches? Isn't that sad? But that's where we're at today. Thank God you're in a church that believes the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. But that's where we're at today. This is part of the end times. This is what Jesus said would happen. And, and they'll deliver you. They'll kill you. They'll, you'll be hated by uh, uh, all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended. How many of you can honestly say when someone hates you, it offends you? Both hands go up. For those hands that don't go up, we'll have an altar call at the end of the service because I know you're lying. It offends me when someone hates me. Why would you hate me? I am the most nicest guy on the face of the earth. There's nothing to hate about me. Why wouldn't you like me? Well, chances are it's not that me, it's not me that you don't like. It's the God that I serve that you don't like. And the real reason you don't like him is because you don't really know him that well. You know, I, I, this has been, been something that's happened in my life, and I know it's happened in your life, but there's been people who didn't like me until they got to know me. And then when they got to know me, they found out, you know what, hey, he's a pretty nice guy. Well, you know, it's true about God. People have heard so many wrong things about God. Let me tell you something. Don't get your gospel from touched by an angel. Don't get your gospel. Oh, God made me sick to teach me a lesson. God doesn't make people sick. He created you in his image. Is God sick? Can God get sick? Well, if you're creating his image, then why would you say God made me sick? God didn't make me sick. Yeah, but there's poor old Job. Yeah, but the truth is God didn't do that to Job either. Read the Bible. The devil did that to him. Job was trying to figure out, why are you punishing me, God? I'm a righteous man. And God's trying to say, Job, I didn't do that. 
I didn't punish, I'm not, I, I, this is not my judgment on you, Job. This is the plan of the enemy. But when Job held steady and began to pray for his, his enemies, Job 42, 10, it says when uh, Job prayed for his friends, his enemies. when Job prayed for his friends, God restored twice as much, hello somebody, at what was stolen. And so Jesus went and say, and, and then many will be offended and will betray one another. Then false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Somebody say, I want my soul back. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I don't think we're in tribulation, but I believe we we're beginning to see the sorrows. I believe we're in the beginning of some of the sorrows that Jesus is talking about. I believe this is where we're at in the history of the world. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. There's people. And, but Jesus said this. The very first thing he said was, do not be deceived. And then he went on and said, these things will happen and many will be offended. You know, the truth is about the offense is that usually when you are offended, usually you're not seeing things correctly. Somebody say, I want my soul back. And this is what God wants to do. He wants to restore you back to that place. He wants to do a reset. How many of you know that on your computer you have this thing called reset? And when you hit reset, it takes it back to the way the, the factory set it or the original designer made it to be. Well, God wants to do a reset in your life and take it back the way he originally created you to be. So the, the, the very moment that you were born, you weren't offended. You know, but about 30 seconds later, you were because of the way the doctor treated you or the way the, the nurse handled you. You know, how dare you take me out of this warm, beautiful environment and bring me into this cold environment where everybody's looking at me and say, look how beautiful you are. You know, but the bottom line is once you come into this world, you have an opportunity to be offended. But you have to make a choice to it that your heart's not troubled or that your heart's not offended. Now, that word offense comes from a Greek word called skandalous, which means scandal, okay? And so that's one of the greatest trick of the enemy is to offend you. And a lot of people in church, especially this church, they know not to be offended with one another. Look at your neighbor and say, don't get offended with me. Look at your other neighbor and say, I want my soul back. Don't get offended. We, we, we know, oh, treat our brothers really good. But you know what? A lot of times we get offended with things that we don't realize we've taken the offense because it enters in so subtly. You know, the person who's, you know, cashing you out at the grocery store, they say something you don't like, you're offended. And you don't do anything about it. You just take it and you go on. Well, that's their problem, you know, whatever. Or the person at the gas station, they offend you. Or your boss offends you. Or somebody at work offends you. Or somebody going down the free, uh, freeway was trying to tell you how smart you are with, a, with saying you're number one with their finger. And you don't do anything about it. But the truth is that, you know, yes, we know for most part that we shouldn't get offended with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. But you know what? The enemy subtly comes in with the offense of other things in the world, and we don't do anything about it. Somebody say, I want my soul back. And the key is that we have to guard our hearts from offenses in every arena of life. You know, there are certain commercials that offend me. You know, especially that ones that says, you know, when you get older, these things are going to happen to you. Shut up. 
I don't want to hear that stuff. Right. You know, my wife and I, we talk back to some of those commercials. That ain't happened to me. Uh-uh. Not here. No. Well, you need, I better not say that. I better stick to the Word of God. Amen. All right. We're, we're going to stick to the Word of God here. Somebody say, I want my soul back. So Jesus starts this by saying, thank he that no one deceive you. So what happens when this, this scandal comes in? Well, the word scandalous means scandal, okay? And the best way to describe an offense, it is the bait to trap you. It's a bait to uh, 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 control you. It's a bait to put you in bondage. And so I heard this story, and I know both men who brought this story, and, I, and, I, and, and forgive me, I don't remember what island they went to, but they went to some place in South America, some place in that particular area, where the, uh, the, the natives would hunt, hunt monkey, because monkey was, you know, a, a prime food for them. But this particular monkey had a very good sense of smell. Very great eyesight and great hearing. It was very difficult to trap this particular monkey or to harvest this particular monkey for food. So what they would do is they would take these big water bottles, you know, like what we get our big water bottles in, you know, big water coolers, and, and when they were empty, and they would put the monkey's favorite fruit in that bottle. And then they would tie that bottle to a tree. And even though there was... The same fruit all in the forest. The monkey would see that fruit in that bottle, and he would want that. Let me tell you something. One of the things that most people don't realize is that causes offense is you wanting something that you already have. You're going after something that's already been provided for you and thinking that you don't have it and that you're not good enough. And you won't be good enough until you get what you think you ought to have when it's already been provided for you. Well, where's God? How come he's not meeting all my needs? Well, did you drive to church today? Do you know there's a lot of people in the world that don't have a car? You know, it used to be, I don't know, with inflation and all the other statistics, but it used to be that if you had $20 in your pocket, you're richer than 90% of the people in the world. 90%. 90%. Well, I don't have enough. You know, we complain too quick. We begin to think we don't have enough. Why? Because of this comparison grain. Well, dear God, I don't have a house like so-and-so has. I sure wish I, I need I, You know, and we start going after, just like that monkey. We start going at, am I helping somebody today? Somebody say, I want my soul back. So we go, well, even it's all around us. Even though God's saying, look, I'm your shepherd, I, you will not want. I will provide for you. No, 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 I want what they have. And God's going, well, you can have what they have, but I had something much better in mind. Amen. Hello, somebody. And that monkey, he sees that down there, he, you know, and, and they leave, and there's nobody around. He sees that down there, and the coast is clear, and he goes, ah, finally. And he reaches his hand into that jar, and he grabs that fruit, and he thinks he is home safe with this ball of fruit, a handful of fistful of, uh, uh, of fruit that he didn't have to pick for himself. He can't get his hand out of the jar because he's made a fist. You know, and he won't let go. He just won't let go. And so the harvesters come and 
he's screaming and, and having a fit, and, and they harvest that monkey because he won't let go. And this is what happens to so many people in life is because they don't let go of some things, it ends up costing them their lives. What did God say to Pharaoh? Let, let my people go. What was the demise of Pharaoh? Well, he was buried in the Red Sea, wasn't he? Wasn't that his demise? Didn't he end up losing his life because he wouldn't let go of what God told him to let go of? God's telling us to let go of some things. Hello, somebody. Somebody say, I want my soul back. Am I helping somebody today? And so if that monkey would quit looking at something that he already has and begin to convince himself he needs something that he already has, and this is what causes a lot of offenses in a lot of people. Well, I need what's, I need this, I need, and you already have it. You know, if we could become a little more thankful for what we have, hello, somebody. Maybe we wouldn't complain as much about what we don't have. I really said that, and I'm not going to take it back. All right. So many will be offended, and as a result, you know, they're deceived. They're not seeing things correctly. You know, I know that somebody got mad at me one time, and they left the church over it, and they said, Pastor, you said if I'm offended, then I'm deceived. I said, yes. Good chances that you are. Why? Because when that offense comes in, you're not able to see things correctly because your soul has been affected. That's what happens. See, taking an offense is like putting a mint in your mouth. You know, when you put a mint in your mouth and you breathe in, what do you smell? You smell the mint. When you breathe out, thank God, what do we smell? We smell that same mint, don't we, huh? And that's what happens when you take offense. Well, Jesus said this. Go with me to uh, Luke chapter 7. Am I helping somebody this morning? Luke chapter 7, I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Bible. Because it makes it so much plainer and clearer. Luke 7, 23, Jesus said, blessed. And then so then he describes the word blessed here in the Amplified Bible. Happy. Mm, I like being happy. How about you? With life joy and satisfaction. That's called being content. In God's favor and salvation. And apart from or separated from outward conditions. You know, you are so much happier when you are separated from what's going on in the world. When you're not listening, you know, to all the negative things that are going on in the world. And you know what's so interesting is that some of the negative things that go on in the world, and yes, they're negative, they're so magnified, it drowns out all the positive things that are going on in the world. And I love, I love what Pastor Vicky said. We live in a great nation. Is it a perfect nation? No. What makes our nation imperfect is because they magnify the imperfection of our nation more than they magnify the perfection of our nation. I mean, we have a, God, we have a constitution that was, you know, drafted after the Bible. All right, history lesson. Close your Bible. We're going to have a history lesson. How many of you know we, we serve God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Well, how many of you know that we have a constitution, a nation that has three branches of government? I'll stop right there, all right? If you need to know more, we have an academy, and we're taking enrollments at this time. But anymore. But my point is, because negative is so much more magnified, and the enemy is a champion at magnifying negative things. 
you know, my pastor had uh, his, I used to go over and help my pastor in his yard work and stuff, you know, and, uh, 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 and they had a saying on their refrigerator, 13 hugs a day drives insecurity away. You know, isn't it something that it takes a lot more positive things to overcome negative things? How come one positive word doesn't overcome 10 negative words? It should, especially when, it, when it's God's word. Somebody say, I want my soul back. Why? Because if we don't see to it that our hearts aren't troubled, the enemy will magnify that one negative thing and make it a major instead of it being a minor. You know, for most of us, we have a pretty good life. You know, I'm, my life is wonderful. God loves me. My wife loves me. My kids love me. What else does a guy need? You know what I'm saying? And some of you are really making a good effort to love me. You know, what else does a guy need? You know what I'm saying? You know, but so many times the enemy magnifies our failures. Well, you're not good enough in this. Or you can never accomplish this. Or this will never happen in your life. You know, or this is going on. You know, let me just share something new. This is why consistency with walking with God is so powerful. Because if you continue to be consistent and trusting God's word, you'll become powerful. This is why we often say winners don't quit, but quitters never win. Amen? Winners don't quit, but quitters never win. And this is why it's so important. Just keep pressing on. Just keep on trusting God. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. But you know what? God's plan is in motion for your life. Somebody say, I want my soul back. So this is God's plan for your life, to overcome the offense. So what is an offense? So blessed, happy, satisfaction, and salvation apart from outward conditions, and to be envied. And to be envied. You know, one of the things I was saying earlier is that people get so offended when somebody finds out that you're being blessed. And then they, well, you know, you can give all that money. To, I, I, I was working with somebody, you know, and, and, and I was introducing him. He was a missionary. I was introducing him to a man who had a lot of wealth. And uh, I was hoping that this man who had a lot of wealth would support him as a missionary. And the missionary said, well, look at all this money you have. What could you do if you gave it to the poor? What do you think that rich man did? He didn't help him. No, why? Because the missionary was offended at the fact that this man was blessed. You know? And, and, you know, what's wrong with being blessed? There's nothing wrong with being blessed. How many of you know that it's better to be blessed than not to be blessed? Huh? Then we shouldn't be offended or we shouldn't be sorrowful or we shouldn't be apologetic when God blesses us. If you're going to be blessed, you're going to be envied. That's their problem. You see, you, you see to it that your heart's not troubled. This is one reason why I believe a lot of people aren't blessed is because they can't handle the persecution that comes with the blessing. Well, how'd you get all that money? What business is it of yours? You know, maybe I inherited. Maybe I got away with robbing a bank. Who knows? But <laughs> highly unlikely. I know it's going to happen after today when we get in the car. My wife's going to say, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but I'm not going to be offended. <laughs> All right. Who cares how God's blessed you? But he said, but blessed, this is the person, is he who takes, say takes, he who takes no offense in me. And then he describes the word offense by saying, 
who's not hurt. I see all the halos still hanging in there. None of you have ever been hurt here. Resentful. Let me stop right there. Did you know? I read an article just the other day, and, and in this article it said, the moment, the moment, the second you have resentment in your heart, sickness begins to work in your body. The moment. I don't know how science figures that all out. Is it, is, is it worth it being resentful? You know, let it go. Somebody say, I want my snow back. Annoyed? I know none of you have ever been annoyed. Oh, Lord, help me. I could say some things that annoy me right now, but anyway. All right, repelled or made to stumble. Whatever, say whatever, whatever may occur. Now go with me to Luke 17. Again, this took me a little bit. Maybe I'm slow, but once I get it, I get it. And Jesus said to his disciples, temptation, snares, traps, set to entice to sin. In other words, in the King James or New King James says, Jesus said, it's impossible that offenses won't come. All right? And that's what it is. It's a trap. It's entice you to fall away from God. Are sure to come. But woe to him through whom they come. You know, and, 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 and here's the key and the truth, and that is if, if you have taken an offense, there's a very good chance that you're going to be or cause or create an offense in somebody else's life. You know, why is that important? Because when you recognize somebody else has got an offense, you know what? In order for them to keep that offense, they want you to validate. Your offense. Isn't that the truth? Oh, bless your heart. That shouldn't have really, oh, I agree with you. You mean pastor said what to you? Well, I'm mad at pastor too now. And now you're offended at me based on someone else's interpretation that offended them of what I said, you know. But they can come to me and they can go, oh, pastor, you know what? I got so offended over this. I just asked you to forgive me. You know, great. Well, what about this other person who took your offense? What can they do? They have to really humble themselves. Well, Pastor, I got offended because I heard something, but I didn't see something. You know, and that's why offenses are so negative, because they spread like cancer in people's lives. That's why you have to recognize an offense in somebody else's life. It's important that you recognize somebody else has taken offense, but you don't have to take it. See to it that your heart's not troubled, regardless of what other people say. You know, I don't understand this. I really can't figure this out, but there are people in the world who don't like my wife. I mean, can you imagine somebody who doesn't like my wife? And do, do you know that they would love to sit with me privately and convince me why I shouldn't love my wife? There are people like that. There really are. How many of you think it would be wise for me to sit down and have conversations with those people? Huh? What would that do to our marriage? What would do that, that do to my image of my wife? Why would I ever do something like that? Well, the same thing should be true about relationships with other people. Why should we sit down and listen to somebody else share with us 
an offense they have about somebody else. Unless they're willing to come to you and say, I need you to pray with me. I'm hurt, you know, and I'm not here to really cast a bad light on somebody. Well, then don't say anything. I'm hurt. Are you, I'm hurt. Will you pray for me? All right, I'll pray for you. You know, but sometimes we are creatures of curiosity. Well, what hurt you? When did that happen? <laughs> I always suspected there's something was wrong with that person. You know, and this is the beginning of not watching your heart. Keeping your own heart. You got to keep your own heart. Am I helping somebody today? Somebody say, I want my soul back. So Jesus said, it's impossible that fences will come, but, you know, woe through whom they come. And there's a good chance if you've taken offense, you will offend other people. It'd be more profitable for, if a, 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 for him if a milestone were hung around his neck and he were hurled into the sea that he should cause to sin or be a snare or cause an offense in somebody else. Pay attention. Always be on guard. Looking out for one another. If your brother sins, Mrs. Mark, just tell him, hey, listen, sounds like you're offended. Sounds like you're offended. Take it to God. Take it to God. Let's pray about this. I'm not taking your offense. All right? And, and, and help him walk through that, forgive, that forgiveness. And he says, even if, even if someone has sinned against you seven times in a day, if he, he comes to you and says, hey, I missed it, then forgive him. You know that one scripture where Peter said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven times? The Lord said, not seven times, but I say seven times 70. I thought, dear God, I couldn't even count 490 times and say, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him. Let's see, 300, let's see, 331, I forgive him. 332, I forgive him. You know what? But if I have to 490 times a day tell myself I forgive in order to get over it, then it's important for me to tell myself I forgive. I let it go. I speak to it. I'm not putting up with this. I'm not going to let somebody else's opinion or somebody else's negative words towards me wreck my life because God's got a plan for me somebody say I want my soul back am I helping somebody this morning I'm not going to let it happen and so then he went on to say this and he taught us how to deal with this thing and, 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 and the Lord said, if you have faith, trust, and confidence of God, even so small like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and plant it in seed, and it would obey your voice. Now, actually, the, the, the original translation is sycamine tree. And why sycamine tree? Well, if you go to Israel with me someday, you'll know that the sycamine tree is a tree that grows mostly in the desert. And in order for it to grow, it has deep tap roots, all right? And this is what happens with offenses. They become a root of bitterness. And he said, so if you have faith, you have to speak to that fence. Offense, go. Somebody say, I want my soul back. Offense, go. I'm not having you. Why sycamine tree? Well, the sycamine tree was the favorite wood that people who built coffins so if you don't deal with the offense, it probably will bury you someday. And the truth is about sycamine trees is that they do produce a fruit. But in order for you to eat it because it's so tough and so bitter, how many of you know that usually offense is bitter? 
you know, that you got to chew on it and chew on it and chew on it and chew on it and chew on it before you can actually swallow it. Well, this is what happens if you don't deal with it, see to it that your heart's not troubled. If you don't speak to that offense, command it to go, you chew on it, you dwell on it. You think, well, maybe the next time I see that person, maybe I'll just kind of, you know, fend them back. What are you dwelling on? You dwell on all those things which are pure, lovely, and a good report? Somebody say, I want my soul back. back. We're not. And that's why it's so important that we let it go. You know, but but the other thing about the sycamine tree that most people, or sycamore tree that most people don't know about, that the only way for it to produce is that there's a certain wasp that has to get into that bud and the wasp has to sting it for it to produce. And this is what happens with the sting of offense is it starts to produce a bitter fruit that negatively affects our life. Somebody say, I want my soul back. And so what's so important here is that we have to see to it, as Jesus said, that our hearts are not troubled. And it's not a weekly thing or a monthly thing, ladies and gentlemen. It's a daily thing. And see, if you let an offense come in because a person who's, you know, the cash register person is, who's checking your groceries out says something that's offensive. You know, Vicki and I, we have a favorite place we like to get chicken. And uh, a few times, more than often, more often than not, you know, we order our chicken and we got home and it wasn't the right order. You know, I mean, I mean it just, it's, it's not a big deal, but you know what? I like dark meat. She likes white meat. You know, and there's no white meat in there. Oh, my gosh, we got to go back. You know, and you go back to the store and you say, well, I didn't get any white meat. You know, and they act like you're just a real rat. How dare you? What do you mean we didn't get your order right? You know, and, you know, the truth is that we have to guard our hearts to make sure that even though they're offended because we came back to get what we were supposed to get. Well, the last few times we, we stop, we're in the drive-thru, we stop, we just open it up and look at it. And this lady said, is your order all right? Well, I don't know yet. I'm looking. They're offended that I checked out the order. But I have to guard my heart. You know? You can get offended with, you know, a, a public service person, the trash man. He didn't pick up your trash right. And you don't realize, but you've taken an offense. And that offense starts working on you in a different area. And you think, why am I so irritated? Why am I so mad at the world? Because you got offended at the trash collector. It's the truth. That's why we have to guard our hearts on a regular basis not to be offended at things that go on in life. Somebody say, I want my soul back. And so this is what Jesus said. Blessed is a man who does not take the offense. Offenses will come. I've already told you they're going to come. There's going to be trials and tribulations, Jesus said. This is part of the beginning of sorrows. It's going to happen. But see to it that your heart is not troubled. Well, how do you see to it that your heart's not troubled? Number one, you don't take the offense. They're going to come. But you have to say, you know what? I refuse to be offended. I refuse to take that offense. I'm not going to take it. It's not worth being resentful. It's not worth being annoyed. 
You know, you need to find something to just laugh it off or shrug it off or figure out a, a way how to renew your mind so that you're not thinking about it. Let it go. See to it that your heart is not troubled. Let go of that offense. I'm not taking that offense. But Jesus said, blessed is the man who takes no offense. And the way you don't take the offense is by saying, when it comes, recognizing it's an offense and saying, I refuse to be offended. Now, how many of you, you know, if you got a package in the mail and uh, the, 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 the postmaster uh, said, you know, we suspect there's something alive in your package. And you go, oh, okay, and, and, and you shake it, and you hear this little on the inside of it. And you go, you know, I'm not a reptile ex expert, but, you know, that certainly sounds like a rattlesnake to me. And you shake it again, you hear the on the inside of it. And there's something moving on the inside. And so, you, you know, you think, well, I don't know if I should open this. And, and, and you take it back to the postmaster and say, you know, I, I'm not sure I want to open this. I, 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 I'm kind of nervous. You want us to take an x-ray of it? Yeah. Can you tell me what's in there? Yeah, we can. So they put it through all their high-tech machinery and everything, come back, and they go, there's a live rattlesnake in there. Are you going to open it? No, the spirit of Elvis Presley is going to come up on you. And you're going to start singing, return to cinder, address unknown. That's what's going to happen to you. You're not going to open that thing. That rattlesnake's mad. I mean, it's going to bite the first thing that it comes out to bite. I mean, it, you're not going to open that. Well, that's the same thing with offenses. They're going to come, but you don't have to open the package. You don't have to open your heart to it. You can say, I recognize it for what it is. That is an offense. Now, I just want to let you know, in the day that we live in, you probably will have an opportunity every day, if not more than once, to be offended. And you have to recognize it. Don't be deceived. Don't, 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 don't go, well, that didn't bother me. Come on now, let's be real. We're not in denial here, but speak to it by saying, I refuse to take that offense. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's Word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.